<laughs> Guys, I can't fucking wait to see that movie. I'm Helen. I'm Miss Sinclair. And I'm Edison. And this week, we are bringing you a very special feature. Oh, yes. yes. We're going to play a fun little game of Mary Fuck Kill. I cannot wait to watch this movie again. Because it's just so fucking weird. We're about to hit the dance floor at Jackrabbit Slims because we've got that Saturday night fever, baby. I loved this movie, too. <laughs> it was so ridiculous. I just pray that Green Book doesn't win Best Picture. Oh, Pick God, Pick. I know. That- <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Talk Movie to Me, a weekly podcast where we discuss a movie we've all seen, our weekend entertainment, and an artist whose career we'd like to put in focus. I'm Helen. I'm Miss Sinclair. And I'm Edison. And we are back! <laughs> yeah! And so, so, so damn excited to be here with all of you for the first episode of Season 4. Yeah! We hope you love our new theme music, made for us by longtime listener and friend Blake. But that's just one of a number of really exciting ways our show has evolved for the new season. So we are going to be setting up a Patreon account. For anyone who doesn't know what Patreon is, it is a website that you can go to and you can support our podcast and get extra little goodies. We will be finalizing the details on this and letting you know as soon as possible, but it is going to be an exciting way to get a little bit of extra info on Talk Movie to Me and support your favorite podcasters. Yes. <laughs> For our first episode, we're thrilled to be talking about one of the most highly anticipated films of the year. And for many, what will be their first theater visit since the COVID-19 pandemic began. We were wearing our masks. I hope that you all were wearing your masks as well. And if you go to the theater, uh, wear your damn mask. Just a friendly reminder. This week, we are slipping through space and time. Pardon me. I mean, speaking backwards and walking backwards and generally confusing the fuck out of everyone because our first film can be no other than Christopher Nolan's latest mindbender, Tenet. Correct. Uh, did you write that out? I wrote that out. That's amazing. <laughs> it took me 18 years to write that shit backwards. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Tenet stars John David Washington as the protagonist, a secret agent recruited for a time-twisting espionage mission to prevent the destruction of all life in our world. Also starring is Elizabeth Debicki, Robert Pattinson, Kenneth Branagh, Aaron Taylor-Johnson. Oh my god. And Clemens Posey and Michael Caine. First impression, Helen. Well, first of all, spoiler alert. Yes. Yes. Spoiler, (laughs) spoiler, spoiler. If you have not seen Tenet, we will be discussing Tenet through and through as much as we can. (laughs) (laughs) So please do not listen or... Fast forward to the next segment of the podcast, Mm -hmm. please. Okay, my first impression. The first scene is pretty intense, and it brought me back to the first scene in The Dark Knight where the Joker is robbing the Mm -hmm. bank. It it had the same vibes. And yeah, within the first couple minutes, my my impression was that the movie felt very sleek. Yep. Sinclair? Well, first impressions for me. First off, I do want to say that when the trailer came out, for this film pre-COVID, I really disliked it. Mm-hmm. And then after COVID hit, I was so desperate for <laughs> just the experience of a big blockbuster that my excitement for Tenet really increased. Mm-hmm. So I was very happy to be able to see this film. 
initially, my first thoughts when the film started, it felt like I was walking into this film about 40 minutes into the story. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. My first impression was that opening sequence of the protagonist trying to stop a terrorist attack in the opera house, it was quite something. I went into this seeing every feature that Christopher Nolan has made so far. I assumed that Tenet would be a bit opaque, so I was ready for that. But I found this opening to become fully confounding. Mm -hmm. I could not figure out what was happening, Mm -hmm. who was on which side. The why of it all was entirely ambiguous. Mm -hmm. With that being said, it was also completely riveting Mm -hmm. in the sense that the action was super tight and it was shot magnificently. And also it was effective at establishing the protagonist as like a believably badass special ops guy. So yeah, my first impression was... What the fuck is going on? But also, okay, I'm going to trust that it'll all make sense soon enough. Mm, okay, well, on that note, <laughs> maybe we should get into the storytelling. Uh-huh. Mm. <laughs> so, Tenet definitely has unconventional storytelling, I think you could say. <laughs> it's absolutely confusing. I, I leaned over and said this to you in the theater. I felt like I was watching a foreign movie without subtitles mm-hmm. for at least the first quarter of this film. I... I just, I could not understand what was going on. But confusion aside, the heart of the story was not compelling to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Generally, if you say that you don't like this film, the reaction you get is, oh, you must have not liked it because mm-hmm. you found it really, really confusing. Mm-hmm. So for me, I want to be clear about the fact that this film being confusing, which I do believe the story is convoluted and confusing to the point of where you feel like it's less of a puzzle trying to be solved and more the intention of the filmmaker to make you feel confused, which Mm. I think is two very important differences. Mm -hmm. But my main problem with the film is not that it's confusing. It's the fact that I found the writing to be bad and I found the story to be not compelling and really actually underdeveloped. Mm. This film was so much exposition, (laughs) like obnoxiously so, that I didn't actually find it to be profound in any way. It was just sitting there and consuming empty calories. Mm-hmm. That was the equivalent of the storytelling to me in this. Yeah, and it was it was just all plot. Like yes. I, I feel like there actually was very little actual story mm. to this. Mm-hmm. It was just plot. Yeah. Action sequence after action sequence, person explaining something, action sequence. Yeah. More exposition, yeah. action sequence. And the plot itself was so fucking goddamn tangled and convoluted <laughs> that I found it to be a bit of a struggle. There's a lot of mind-bending films. Right. There yeah. are. There and are a lot like of, and we like of them. Yeah. I love those. Yeah. I love piecing a puzzle together, but yeah. I have to be intrigued enough and care enough to want to. Yes. And I just found this film to be just really empty and a bit shallow. Mm-hmm. My biggest issue was with the motivations of the characters. Yes. I don't believe or buy why anyone really did anything in this film yeah john david washington who plays the protagonist first of all just even the fact that he doesn't have a name i feel like is a great example of the fact that he doesn't have a character yeah Yeah. he has no story that and there's other movies that there's characters called the writer the narrator when and it's fine but in this Mm. one you kind of roll your eyes when you hear that well absolutely and so he has no backstory, no family, no nothing that we can conceive. And yet, for whatever fucking reason, he must save Elizabeth Dubecky's character. And he, like, of all the people in mm-hmm. the world, why all of a sudden does he have to save her life? And then Kenneth Branagh's character, whose motivation was essentially just 
if I can't have it, nobody can have it. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, but that is like a grade one storytelling. So yeah, lazy. I thought it was it's like so the weakest, lazy. weakest reason for him to be doing. As soon as they were, he has cancer, I was like, oh, you have to be kidding me. Yeah. You have to be kidding me. And Helen and I were getting very frustrated. And I tend to get frustrated with female characters in Christopher Nolan films. I think they're always really underwritten. Mm-hmm. Helen and I were so annoyed by the fact that Kat, Elizabeth Debicki, her only reason for really doing anything was the fact that she was a mother and she had a child. Right. And every single line in this film is her justifying <sighs> something because she is a mother and she has a child. And we're mm. sitting there as two women going, if I hear her say yeah. my child one more time, I'm going to lose it. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's like, how do we give this this female character any sort of depth? I know we'll make her a mother. We'll give her a kid. Yeah, it seems like to me like he worked backwards, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> Christopher Nolan, we know he has always loved discussing time, yes. playing with yes. time, the like ideas about quantum physics mm. and altered reality and our perceptions, but it's like he began with this, right? Mm-hmm. A tenet is a principle. It's a belief or a doctrine that's held by an individual or a group. That is what a tenet is. It's also a palindrome, of mm-hmm. course, backwards and forwards. Yes. So <laughs> I can imagine him like, it's like he started at that point. Oh, I want to tell this story about like two parts of our experience of time mm. meeting like yeah. confronting one another backwards and forwards and then he just tried to fill in mm-hmm. story and motivation yes. to to like satisfy the plot yeah it just never actually is effective no. at giving us something that compelling no well this film focused way too much on the mind bending physics and looking cool and less on the human struggle with time and any sort of ethical questions yes. mm-hmm. so you need to have some degree of that in a film or it just feels too sterile and he's done this he's actually mixed heart with the mind-bending physics in other movies Mm -hmm. so much better like Mm -hmm. even interstellar Mm -hmm. you look at matthew mcconaughey he has wonderful moments he's actually watching his daughter oh yeah age he's missed out on so much of her life he has these like beautiful scenes and it's also mixed with you know time and the physics and blah 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 but it's merged And you can get behind what's happening. Even um, Inception. Absolutely. You know, there's there's emotionality in Inception too. So I just think that this one was missing a little heart. And it's not like we need something that's like overly dramatized, but you need something. Yeah, I mean, I don't need a love story to care about characters in a film. I just need them to a have story. a story. An a- actual story that doesn't is not a few sentences on a piece of paper to give somebody like, like yeah. the fact that the villain of this movie's motivation for wanting to destroy civilization mm-hmm. was that he was going to die. Like and we get this repeated like he doesn't want to give up Elizabeth Debicki because if he can't have her, no one can have her. And then he, if he's going to oh, die, the whole her, world we rolled must our eyes die. at that point. But we like run. that was the motivation. I know. Yeah. It's That's just, a joke. It's, it's not enough. It's so not enough. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there there are big there are big questions that could have been explored more in this film. Like we struggle with the idea of time. It's mm-hmm. something that we want to control, but we inevitably can't. And Christopher Nolan, like Edison, you were saying, he does have an obsession with time in his film and controlling time. And a lot of that is in the character of Andre 
in a way. Andre says, well, I'm That's Kenneth I'm, Branagh. I'm Kenneth Branagh. Like, yeah. I, I am God. Yeah. That's essentially what Christopher Nolan is trying to do as a director. <laughs> mm. He likes to control time with his film the way Quentin Tarantino likes to reimagine history Mm. it's a way for them to actually make things into what they want them to be so there are questions here that he could have explored a lot more I just don't think it was there the end of the film I just was rolling my eyes too (laughs) with those moments at the end with Aaron Taylor Johnson who love him yeah Robert Pattinson and his frosted tips (laughs) and uh, John David Washington at the end when they're talking about how they need to get rid of these pieces of right. the you know they're getting they rid of a, yes well they're getting rid of pieces timeline. of an artifact that controls time and they want mm. to put them in different places and I was like that's just Tomb Raider with it, that's, that's Harry Potter's Horcruxes and then <laughs> yeah and then you know Robert Pattinson it's like he actually knew John David Washington this yeah. whole time he's come from the, I was like that's just Terminator yeah. Like these ideas <laughs> yeah. have been done before. This isn't that, you know, yeah. yes. cerebrally interesting. And it was just the, annoying. The thing itself, the algorithm itself was a total MacGuffin. Like it <laughs> literally was. It ha- it was actually nothing. Yeah. We didn't know anything about it. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I My bolded sentence in describing storytelling for this was it feels like this movie was a lot of bells and whistles unmotivated by any real human behavior. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Clemens Posey plays a scientist of some kind. And at one point she says the protagonist, after explaining to him what was going on with the inverted bullets and whatever, don't try to understand it, feel it. Mm, What? (laughs) Yeah, and I have to say, this also seems like a not-so-subtle directive to the audience as well. (laughs) But there's nothing to feel. Exactly. But it's ironic because in a film without any feeling... That's also entirely indecipherable yeah. <laughs> in its right. complexities. Mm. It's not an easy suggestion to take. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Well, yeah. we safe to say we, we safe to say the three of us yeah not fans of the storytelling <laughs> of Tenet. Okay. 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 Well, why don't we move into performances? Yes. Well, yes. Maybe let's start with uh, John David Washington. I thought that he had this kind of intensity that was very almost blasé. Mm-hmm. It was he was worked great in Black Klansman, and here he also gives this character this like impassive, calm, unflappable quality. Mm-hmm. He's good. He's got charisma for days, and I I think that he's very capable of carrying a blockbuster, a film of this blockbuster scale, which you can see because he has that kind of it thing. Mm-hmm. But there was nothing more than that. No, he was no. he was too unflappable, mm-hmm. right? And we needed some like fear some questioning something to make him a human an Mm -hmm. actual real person yeah i i like john david washington and i think that this film didn't actually let him shine Mm -hmm, and a lot of it has to do with the writing Uh, his his character just sat and listened to endless exposition (laughs) all the time it was John David Washington sits and has a beverage and listens to someone talk. John David Washington walks down a street and listens to someone talk. John David Washington is tied up and he's listening to somebody talk (laughs) over and over and over again. But I will give him a lot of praise because I thought physically he, he did a really good job in this film. Like he just... The action scenes, he looked physically believable. Oh, fuck yeah. I believed him. Like, yeah. That, that was established in the opening shot. Yeah. I believed him as this special ops guy. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, I echo everything you say about his performance. My favorite person in this film was Robert Pattinson. Same, 100%. Frosted tips, baby. Frosted tips, still know, looking yeah, good. Sure. I mean, still looking good. First of all, he's so sexy. He's sexy in everything. But he also, like, to me, watching him, I was like, oh, you created a backstory for yourself. Yes. I don't know what it was, but I can see it. Yes. I, I see the history in your performance. And that, I mean, that's what makes an amazing actor. And he just has flair. He has flair. But like, I also, I did not sense the chemistry between those two at all. I not, didn't sense that there really. was maybe something there where he knew him from the future, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Um, there, that wasn't, not that that needs to be really prominent. You shouldn't actually be able to kind of know that secret. But there should be some sort of chemistry or rapport between the two people might disagree with me and think that they did but i i didn't see the i just thought that the he, chemistry there. i wanted to watch what he was doing i wanted to know what he was thinking yeah. and i didn't feel that way about john david Washington's yeah. character to, yeah to be honest robert pattinson was my favorite too mm-hmm. he he has become such an exciting actor i know yeah. he's I know. so fearless and in this, it's not like it's a big showboaty performance at all. But even that is refreshing. Yeah. Because the last few things we've seen him in, he's really gone out and mm. given us some balls to the wall performances, yeah. like in the lighthouse. Oh, so I it was love nice to see it. him playing like a regular person, but yeah. who's still, like you say, yeah, has flair and yeah. is kind of lived in, feels yeah. lived 100%. in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's talk about Kenneth Branagh for a minute. Jesus. I was talking. Okay, I was talking a lot of shit about Kenneth Branagh in the theater. Like I turned to Helen and I was like, what are these characters scared of? It's Kenneth Branagh. <laughs> like what's Kenneth Branagh going to do? However, he was scary. No, he wasn't. I don't know. I thought he I was thought scary. I thought he was scary in parts. He had no, like obviously a horrible like storyline, blah, 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 blah. But I did find, I do think he's a good actor, Kenneth Branagh. I, I did I did find him to be a bit bit scary in parts of this film. I just like could not take him seriously for a he, lot of it. This is my problem with Kenneth Branagh's character in this film. In order to believe that motivation, in order to buy some of the things that he said in this film, for that character to work in any sort of way, he needs to be so sadistic and psychotic that you, like almost, almost Joker- Ask like he what to me was not sadistic and psychotic enough to get behind that. It's, it's because motivation. it was more people talking about how sadistic he was and how villainous he was, and it, this movie was very tell don't show. And again, in I, a lot like, of ways. it's not. I'm not saying it was necessarily his performance, but it was. I I believe it was the performance in combination with the writing. Mm-hmm. I did not feel scared for one second. My Kenneth Branagh's character, personally. I but. thought, like, the performance as well was, like, so much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, so much. It was the most much. Every line was delivered with 712 exclamation points. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of a performance. I do agree. I did find him intimidating in the scenes in part, opposite he, Elizabeth were, Debicki there were, Yes, sometimes. there were moments like, when he shone. But that was probably more her. And, mm-hmm. like, okay, let's move on to her. Because to her credit... I, for having such a one-dimensional character Mm -hmm. on the script. Edison, she had a child, Edison. That's enough. (laughs) She is inherently, she is a tall, willowy, white, aristocratic Mm -hmm. woman. So she brings this kind of haughty, aristocratic air in anything, no matter what. But in this, I do think that 
there was she did the best that she could with the lines that right. she was given and I believed her most of the time yeah okay well perhaps we can uh, find some positives in yes. the technical aspects of Tenet <laughs> yes yes we can yeah I, I believe so I mean I turned to Sinclair at one point in the film and said this must have been an editing nightmare like, Jesus I was most impressed by the editing of this film yeah I would say the editing and like the stunt choreography yeah for sure and and moments of the cinematography like that yeah. one shot in Pompeii where they they meet on that cliff oh was fucking stunning oh my god like every yeah. shot just looked like the wallpaper on somebody's computer though or like a National like Geographic just, yeah like, I know, like it's just so Netflix commercialized no I love it the settings are spectacular in this mm. film and also it's strangely it's perfectly timed for where we're at right now we can't travel anywhere yeah. Truth, yeah. Uh, so I, it's a genuine thrill, at least it was for me, to see these amazing locations. Yeah, from the Amalfi Coast to Mumbai, Estonia, Denmark, London. It's like a Bond movie, the mm. way it like it's very much skips like a around Bond the movie. map. Yes. And that globe-trotting element has always been one of the most loved things about the Bond series. Mm. And Christopher Nolan has talked at length in the past about how much he loves the mm. Bond films. Well, mm-hmm. I could buy that. Mm-hmm. I mean, this felt like a Christopher Nolan, James Bond film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> really. The sound design was exceptional. Well, see, a lot of people would argue that, I feel, though, because there's a lot of time when you're listening to a character and you can't understand what they're oh, saying. Oh, totally intelligible in that way. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, you can't the hear mechanics people at all. And... Yes. Yeah, okay. The mechanics, the like backwards of yes. everything, that element of it, newly created sounds, mm-hmm. ob- mm. obsessed. I thought it was that's really, a, really well so done. Amazing. Yeah. Okay, mm. so the last word on Tenet, Seclair. Okay, last word. I was really happy to be able to go to the movie uh, theater and and see this with precautions, of mm-hmm. course. I didn't love Tenet. You hated it. I didn't. I, I hated Tenet. <laughs> <laughs> All weeks of person texted me. I hated Tenet. <laughs> oh my god! Amazing. I didn't love it. Yeah. No, I hated Tenet. Uh, for me, it felt like consuming empty calories, and this film just didn't make me care enough to want to rewatch it and try and piece together its puzzle mm. no i'm busy yeah you know very I gotta busy care. people <laughs> edison yeah the last word for me this is the first film that we are stepping mm. out for since the pandemic began it is genuinely a monumentous occasion mm. yeah and does it live up to it no it does not <laughs> mm-hmm. i will watch this film again i will because I did really appreciate a lot of the technical elements and I I enjoy on like you know picking apart yeah. a puzzle mm-hmm. like this but it's definitely not one of my favorites of Christopher Nolan's. No. I think it was a big swing and a miss for mm-hmm. me. Last word for me on Tenet. Tenet is overhyped and underwritten. Mm-hmm. Helen. <laughs> Each week, we challenge ourselves to watch films that fit a particular theme. This week's theme is Daddy Tissues, films that made our dads cry. (laughs) This is our week in entertainment. Uh, Sinclair, you go first. Okay. Well, first of all, we thought Daddy Tissues might be fun because our fathers do come from a generation of men that aren't always the most open right, with right. their feelings. Mm -hmm. Yes. Emotionally expressive. Right. Yes. I mean, sometimes you catch them in those different moments, but, you know, generally overall, that's just kind of the way they are. It happens once a year after a full bottle of rum at Christmas. (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) 
So I, I called my dad to ask him about what movie made him cry. And he said to me, I was like, oh, dad, you know, can you just tell me any movie, any movie mm. that, that made you cry? And he said, oh, honey, I, no, I, I don't, no, I don't cry at, cry at movies. And I was like, dad, like, think really hard. Like, yeah. there has to be one. He's like, well, I don't really cry. But, I mean, there have been some movies that have brought you know, tears to my eyes. And I was like, so you cry. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, that's the actual definition of crying. Yeah. Tears in your eyes. And it's well, okay. I guess you could call it that. <laughs> I knew it was going to be a war film. Mm. He initially oh, yeah. said Dunkirk. And I said, dad, no, we're already talking enough about Christopher Nolan. I'm yeah. wa- not watching Dunkirk again. And he's like, okay. I was like, think dad, like go back in time and think. And he ended up... like 1917. You're like, damn it. No. So he actually picked The Bridge on the River Kwai, Uh. which is from 1957, directed by David Lean. And this is a dad movie. Mm. And it's kind of a movie that I expected my dad to say. Mm -hmm. And also it was a movie that was on my list. It's a war film that I haven't seen. And I've always thought that's a movie that I need to watch. So I thought it was the perfect opportunity for that. So... This is the same director who did Lawrence of Arabia, mm. Dr. Zhivago, so very acclaimed classic mm-hmm. filmmaker. It's starring William Holden and Alec Guinness. These are two actors who my dad thoroughly enjoys. <laughs> Just a little quick synopsis via IMDb. British POWs are forced to build a railway bridge across the River Kwai for their Japanese captors not knowing that the Allied forces are planning to destroy it. Mm. So this this film is set in World War II. It's based on a novel by Pierre Boyle. And my dad is coincidentally reading this book again, which I found kind of interesting. Mm. But yeah, this film was huge. It won seven Oscars, including Best Picture and Best Director. And this is definitely a dad favorite. This is... Probably the most representative of a dad film ever. What I will say about this film is that it's gorgeous. I'm not going to get into the plot too much. What I said in the actual description Mm -hmm. of the movie is essentially what it is. But this film is beautiful. It's a true classic war epic. It's shot in Technicolor, so immediately has this beautiful look Mm. to it. It's also shot in Cinemascope, so it's full of these epic wide shots of these men working on this bridge. But one thing about the film that I disliked was that it it felt very studio and you have to remember, this is 1957. So there's like, it's not really yeah. graphic, like the way we picture war films. Yeah. And it also has this kind of very glossy sheen to it. So when I was talking to my dad about this film, he would say to me, oh, honey, you know, well, they wouldn't really look like that. They'd be more exhausted looking. They'd be more starved. There was more brutality to the war than kind of how they're portrayed mm-hmm. in this film. So that was one thing where it did feel like it was very of the time, like very studio. Yeah, the but it realism was, wasn't there. Yeah. So I asked my dad, I said, well, what was it about the film that got you emotional about it? Which is really the point of why we were watching right. these movies. <laughs> and he said to me that, because he was only, he was very young when this movie came out. He was about nine when this movie came out and he saw it when he was about 12. And he said to me that it was actually going to the theater Mm -hmm. with his mom and dad and seeing this movie on the big screen, this like magnificent war epic that just looks so beautiful. 
um, on, on the big screen. And that got me thinking about how you could only see movies right. in the theater. Mm-hmm. And then that got a discussion with my dad about how there was no VHS, there was no Mm. DVD. You saw it in the theater, Mm. that was your experience, and my dad said you would just hope that it would do well enough for it to come back to the theater, Mm -hmm. and they would keep playing it because that was the only way you could see a film. That is fascinating. And it's something that we take for granted, and we just had this great conversation about that because I've never thought of it in that because mm-hmm. it, in that way because we grew up we at least had VHS. Yes, right. And um, now our like accessibility to film through streaming services or downloading yeah. services or whatever is just like instant. Yeah, it was it was really crazy to like think you got to, to watch think of that with a click. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. So it was really the theater experience of seeing this war epic that my dad found to be the most impactful. Mm. So is this movie good? Yeah, this is a classic movie. It's beautifully shot. It is a piece of film history. But I found the most interesting part about this experience was actually talking to my dad about why it was so important to him. And dads love to teach. (laughs) (laughs) Especially about the war. (laughs) Edison? Okay, so my film is another classic also from 1957. Okay, yeah. That was the year, I guess. It was the year. Made dads cry. (laughs) And mine is Old Yeller. Aww. Oh, nope. Oh, <laughs> no, you no, can't watch you. this. No, thank you. Thank thank God that your dad didn't pick this one, Sinclair, no. and you would have been ruined. No. Give me the war. I'm not watching a movie about that dog. No. <laughs> no. What, about, what about where the red fern grows? No. No, it's a no, no for her. It's a no. no. So Old Yeller tells the story of a teenage boy who grows to love a stray yellow dog while mm-hmm. helping his mother and younger brother run their Texas homestead while their father is away on a cattle drive. First thought to be a good-for-nothing mutt, Old Yeller is soon beloved by all. Mm. Old Yeller was a mongrel, an ugly Mm. lop-eared mongrel, fancy-free without a family tree. Here, Yeller, come back, Yeller, best doggone dog in the West. It's so sweet. Yeah. So Tommy is the older brother, and when the dad leaves the homestead to go off to work, he tells Tommy, you're the man of the house now. It's your responsibility to protect your mother and brother and keep the farm going. And right away, Old Yeller turns up and chases a horse and ruins the fence. So Tommy hates the dog, threatens Mm. to shoot him dead the next time he sees him. It's not exactly a (laughs) meet-cute. But, of course, Old Yeller comes back and slowly wins Tommy over. At one point, he saves a little brother from a bear, and this is really when Tommy starts to like love old, mm. old Yeller. This appealed to my dad because it's exactly how he kind of saw himself as a kid. Mm. This came out a couple of years before he was even born, mm. but it's a Disney classic. It's a film that even I watched as a kid. It really does capture the essence of being a boy at that certain age when they need independence and want to be seen as like a man, as a young man, but where they still have that certain innocence and naivety of a boy. And my dad has always been very independent and he's always loved dogs and had dogs. And so this just connected with him in the most kind of deep way, right? (laughs) instinctive way. There's this one scene where Tommy is like, 
laying outside and it's at night and they've got to protect the fence or whatever from the raccoons stealing the stuff Ugh, from the farm. Fucking raccoons. Oh, girl, I hear you. And so she, he's laying there with old Yeller and looking up at the stars and Tommy is like talking about the stars and it's night and old Yeller's sleeping beside him and it's just the most perfectly like boy imagery mm, that you could imagine. Yeah. <laughs> the film is actually really smart. It's basically all shot just on this one little homestead. The budget was probably next to nothing for this movie. And it's a really kind of concise, clean story that just constantly hits home emotionally. It's really about a boy exploring what it means to be a man and trying to earn his father's respect. And that is, I think, a universal. And that's really what like kind of stayed with my dad. There's a moment at the end of the film when the dad returns home after Tommy had to, spoiler alert, put old Yeller down because he got rabies. Yeah. Which is the moment. That's the moment. Mm -hmm. I was full waterworks, like sobbing in my in my living room when we watched when I watched this last week. But his father gives him this advice, and it's actually I just found like so profound and Mm -hmm. useful still. He says, What I'm trying to say is Life's like that sometimes. Now and then, for no good reason, a man can figure out, life will just haul off and knock him flat, slam him against the ground so hard it'll feel like his insides are busted. But it's not all like that. A lot of it's mighty fine. You can't waste the good part fretting about the bad. That makes it all bad. Mm. Sure, I know saying it's one thing and feeling it's another, but I'll tell you a trick that sometimes is a big help. Start looking around for something good to take the place of the bad. As a general rule, you can find it. I love that. That's really nice. It is. Yeah. And it's true. Yeah. And I think that that's a really like powerful message to put in this film that's aimed at children. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Life is going to maybe be yeah. shitty sometimes. Your dog is going to die. Your do- you may have mm-hmm. to kill your you dog. Might have Tommy to kill has your to dog. shoot <laughs> Old Yeller himself. Life is full of hard decisions that just ruin you, but yeah. it's also full of wonderful things. And if you focus all your time thinking about the bad things, then your whole life is just bad. Yes. So I fucking love this movie. <laughs> um, it's like has all the like, racist, problematic things that all these older <laughs> films have, of right. course. But it's a really well-told story. Do for a remake, I have to say. So yeah, Old Yeller was the one that... Made my dad cry. Mm. The the only film, as he uh, tells me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How about you, Helen? What what was your uh, daddy tissue moment? Okay, well, contrary to both of you, my dad had a laundry list of films that made him cry, <laughs> yes. which I knew would be the case. I've seen my dad cry many times in my mm-hmm. life. My entire I come from a family of criers, which I'm sure you oh. both can understand. What? <laughs> that seems so surprising. surprising. <laughs> what? You? So here are some of the, the movies on my dad's list. La Vita e Bella, which was not surprising. Life's Beautiful, mm. which I did contemplate doing because that movie's so, so wonderful and sad. Life is a House mm. was on there. Midnight Cowboy. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Starman. Starman. Hey, look, your, your dad and I should talk about Starman. Yeah. And then he also said Wendy. The, the <gasps> one that we watched recently. Oh my god! What? Why? I think it was the like loss of child. I think there was some loss of childhood stuff there. Okay, that made him yeah, sad. your dad's a big crier. Yeah, no, he is. 
I didn't pick any of those films. I decided <laughs> to watch On Golden Pond oh, from 1981. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. which was on his list as well, obviously. It, it was, yes. On Golden Pond from 1981. This is based on the play of the same name by Ernest Thompson, and it, the film is directed by Mark Rydell. It stars Catherine Hepburn, Henry Fonda, and Jane Fonda. Mm. It tells the story of Norman and Ethel Thayer, a married couple towards the end of their lives who spend a summer at their cottage on Golden Pond. They're visited by their daughter Chelsea and are convinced to take care of her 13-year-old stepson for the summer. The film, you know, is primarily about old age. Oh, no. Oh, oh God. no. Oh, old age. What are you guys doing no, I know. to me? Sinclair, you will. My other will. trigger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> old people and animals God, somebody throw in a cgi don- dinosaur king kong yeah. and i'm done so yes old age is is the primary theme of the film but there's also a father-daughter relationship between real life father and daughter mm-hmm. um which is quite cool to see it also tackles generational differences because there's some really nice bonding between the stepson and uh, technically grandparents i suppose or step-grandparents but it really showcases the struggle of being elderly and not capable of doing things you once could and the oh, loss. I no, can't. no, no. You would, Stop you would die. You would Stop. die, Sinclair. There's a scene in the beginning where Catherine Hepburn has been picking strawberries and she's like, you, need, you should go pick strawberries too, Norman. So she gives him the bucket and he goes in to pick the strawberries and he gets lost because he like is mm. in the woods and he can't remember his way back. And it's like, it's so heart-wrenching. And this is their cottage. This is yeah. their home. Like, he would have known every single bush and shrub and path. Yeah. Oh. And he's not even, like, in, like, the depth of the woods. Like, he's not very far. And he just can't remember where he is. And he gets scared. And he comes back. And she's like, let me see all the strawberries you got. And he's like, no, no, I'll just put them in the pile. She's like, no, let me see. And they're like, you didn't get any. He's like, oh, I ate them all. But it's like, no, he, like, couldn't. He's losing his memory. And he couldn't. Mm-hmm. He didn't remember where he was. Anyway. So sad. It really tugs at the heartstrings. Yeah. Because Norman is the main character of the film. And a lot of his struggles just come with that loss of pride. And, you know, once being an an amazing fisherman. And now, you know, he can't see very well. And But then there's also that lovely aspect of let's pass down the things I've learned to the younger generation. And then hopefully they can carry on these traditions and these Mm -hmm. activities. But when did this make your dad cry? Did he see this when he was younger? Or is this something that made him cry as he got older? That's a good question. I'm not entirely sure because Mm. I got so many suggestions. I just didn't didn't (laughs) delve into every single one. But I assume it impacted him in the familial aspects getting old and being incapable and then also having difficulty connecting with younger generations Mm -hmm. and with time passing by and just, you know, coming to the end of your life. Cause it's very much the focus is Ethel. We're at the end of our lives. Like we're going to die soon, you know? And, but it's actually, it's a very, very lovely film. Mm -hmm. And one of the biggest takeaways that I had from this movie is it really made me want to watch more, films with Katherine Hepburn oh yes she is such a badass feminist yeah because yeah, I started yeah. looking up stuff about her and she's she was so cool mm-hmm. what a cool woman I didn't actually cry and the reason I probably didn't cry is for something that we will talk about later in the episode but 
I really do hate watching old people struggle. So the fact oh, that I God, didn't cry, I, I was actually quite impressed with myself. The last thing I'll say about this film is that it actually won three Oscars. It won Best Actress, Best Actor, and Best Adapted Screenplay. Mm. So it's actually, you know, it's, it's a very, very lovely film. There's some really lovely themes and some lovely acting. Oh, also, Jane Fonda's so hot. I know. <laughs> yeah, of course. She's in a bikini for a few scenes and like her body's perfect. Yeah. Like she's so beautiful well, yeah it's, it's, this is the beginning of the 80s we mm-hmm. still have we we haven't even begun to get all of our fitness videos she's stunning <laughs> she's perfect so yes on golden pond from 1981 thank you dad for the suggestion keep on crying dads keep on crying amen <laughs> So now it's time for our In Focus segment. Each week, we pick an artist and take a look at their filmography and break down the projects and moments that made them the fascinating creatives that they are today. So join us while we explore the filmography of an actor who's been working nonstop since his career's inception in the early 2000s. For him, good film roles have been on lock thanks to his handsome looks, rugged energy, and undeniable acting talent. The tabloids and press have sometimes been the bane of his existence, mm-hmm. and he's managed to avoid the venom of Hollywood, and his answers to intrusive questions have always been that of a legend. So grab your chrome spray and your human blood bag, and let's head down Fury Road like a true warrior. Because now is the time to put the career of Tom Hardy in the sofa. Yeah! <laughs> Sorry, did you guys get that? Yes. Should I should I say it again? Did you understand what I was saying there? It again. Sorry, okay, I'll try it again. Because now I'm putting Tom Hardy in focus. <laughs> Somebody please stop putting masks on this man. Yeah. Please. For real, except for real. now. Except now. It's still a pandemic. Oh, Actually, no, wear a mask, Tom Hardy. <laughs> Now is the time to wear a now mask. Is the only time. Tom Hardy. It's Tom Hardy, guys. Tom in Hardy. focus, Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so that was fantastic. So we've broken Tom Hardy's career down into what we consider to be his defining moments in movies, and we had to come to an agreement on what we think is the movie that put his career on the map. Okay, so we actually decided to go with Bronson here from 2008. Mm-hmm directed by Nicholas Winding Refn. And this film is based on the high-profile British criminal Charles Bronson, who was imprisoned for armed robbery, but because of his continuous violent behavior in prison, he was then sentenced to life imprisonment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. I really admire this film for its creativity, and I thought that it was really a unique way to tell this story. And Tom Hardy is great in this film, but I've seen it once and that is it. I don't want to see it again. Yeah. I won't watch it again. I found it really irritating to watch. <laughs> I, can, I can understand that. I, I mean, like, this is a, largely a one-man show. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it is an insane vehicle to launch Tom Hardy's career. But it is a lot. I, it is fu- a lot. It's funny because I rewatched this this week thinking that I had not seen it. Oh. And... As soon as I started it, that opening scene, the fight between him and the guards at the jail, I immediately was like, oh, wait, what? I did see this movie. Mm -hmm. And I had forgotten that I saw it. It's wild. Yeah. Yeah. I watched this back probably, I don't know, 10 years ago or more than that. And it it was one that was circulating amongst my 
acting school friends because mm-hmm. like, it's so theatrical yes. yes and i re- and i believe it it must have been my introduction to tom hardy and being incredibly impressed and also just remembering that all like he's just naked in a lot of it and like very very muscular but it's like <laughs> but yeah. it's not, I, I don't mean that in like a sexy way it's a, it's almost kind of like a yeah like <laughs> yeah it's re- it's actually kind of really fascinating because yeah. like tom hardy is gorgeous and we oh, all not. we all I'm lost after him. him and in this film he's naked for a huge yeah, chunk yeah, of yeah. it mm. but like but he, it's not it's, erotic it's not erotic <laughs> no. <laughs> no it really yeah. isn't it's so yeah. funny the film was not a huge success mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. but for those who watched it yeah you cannot help but say wait who, who the is, fuck who is, is this, this guy? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Because it is a performance that is balls to the wall. He gives literally. 150% yeah. literally. <laughs> could not give any more of no. himself to this. Yeah. Okay, so we had to decide on the three films that we think define Tom Hardy's career. And look, we're going to bypass The Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, Obviously, yeah, yeah. Bane, yes, that movie was huge. But we're going to focus on on three other films. Okay, Edison, why don't you start with what our first pick of the top three was? Yes. So first up in our big three is another Christopher Nolan film. This one, in my opinion, a much more successful mm-hmm. mind bender. Yeah. That film would be 2010's Inception, mm-hmm. starring Leo DiCaprio, Marianne Cotillard, Joseph Gordon Levitt, Ellen Page, Ken Watanabe, Gillian Murphy, and of course, Tom Hardy. Leo plays a thief who leads a team that steals corporate secrets through the use of dream sharing technology. Now they're given the inverse task of planting an idea into the mind of a CEO, a process known as Inception. Tom Hardy plays one of the members of this team, and it's one of his big three for three reasons. One, the sheer scale and impact of this film. In comparison to Bronson, which Mm. grossed just over $2 million at the box office, thus really only introducing Tom to critics and like film nerds, Mm. Mm -hmm. Inception grossed $870 million (laughs) at the box office. Man. And was nominated for eight Oscars, ultimately walking away with four trophies. So the exposure that Tom got from this film is yeah. just like incomparable. Yeah. Right? Second reason is because it teamed him up with Christopher Nolan. And this particular creative relationship has benefited Tom immensely, not just in this film, but two subsequent films, The Dark Knight Rises and Dunkirk, which mm-hmm. we talked about as well. And three... His character in Inception embodies many of the characteristics that I think will form Tom Hardy's like movie star archetype. Mm. And actually, I think this bit has yet to really come to fruition because he's done so many character roles. But this is the most movie star role he's done so far, even it though it was very small. Right. So the first glimpse that we get of Tom is in this gambling hall in Mombasa in Kenya. And he is just so damn gorgeous. He's so beautiful. (laughs) Honestly. Yeah. Those lips. Ugh. It's silly. (laughs) Yeah. And the way that he explains the possibility of Inception, he has this same kind of like unflappable, intelligent, but like dangerous air. He always has an edge, Tom Hardy. Yes, he does. It's always there. But he's also just so suave and like Mm. cool. Mm Mm-hmm. And his style is great. (laughs) And like watching it now, I just think he's an absolute no-brainer for James Bond. 
Oh, mm. interesting. And yet, like I said earlier, we know Christopher Nolan's obsessed with Bond. So if he ever directs the 007 film, I think especially with their history together, how could he not cast Tom Hardy? But anyway, <laughs> yes, Tom Hardy in this, stunning, incredible. Um, Helen, what's next on the big three? <laughs> well, well, well. Okay, so <laughs> guys, I've been waiting to talk about this film in the podcast. I'm so excited about this. So my film is Warrior from 2011. Mm. Written and directed by Gavin O'Connor, starring Tom Hardy, Joel Egerton, and Nick Nolte. It follows estranged brothers Brendan and Tommy as they prepare to fight in an international MMA competition called Sparta, with Tommy being coached by their alcoholic father, played by Nick Nolte. This movie kills me, Mm. you guys. Kills me. Yeah. It's one of my favorite movies. We saw the Instagram post. Oh, whew. There's a lot of crying. Okay, I've seen this movie many, many times. I watched it with Justin for the first time last week. And I cried so much that he actually had to tell me to stop crying. Like, (laughs) (laughs) this is why I didn't cry during Golden Pond, because I used up all of my tears watching Warrior last week. And Nick Nolte's character, he breaks my heart. Mm -hmm. And there was a scene towards the end. And at this point, I've been crying nonstop for like a good while. And Justin was like, you can't just cry every time Nick Nolte comes on screen. He's just getting into a cab. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I know, but it's because he is. Anyway, so listen, a movie about brother MMA fighters is not my niche, um, but... No, truly, but... It, mm-hmm. It's truly not my niche, but unlike Tenet, this movie is so well-written, mm-hmm. and the characters and the relationships are so well-developed, and Tom Hardy's character in this film, he plays Tommy with so much under the surface. There's so much history to his performance, so many layers, and you can just see all of the trauma that that character has gone through and the aftermath of that trauma. Mm. And Nick Nolte's character as this recovering alcoholic who's, you know, going on a thousand days sober and all he wants to do is reconnect with his sons. But the damage is too deep and nobody wants anything to do with him and it's just this desperate (sighs) plea to, like, reconnect with his sons. And, God, it's so... This movie is so well-crafted and the music in this film... A lot of it is scored by songs by The National. And the final scene of the movie with the song About Today by The National that plays over that final fight is like, you cannot watch that and not cry. Mm. You can't. It's so good. And this really is the epitome for me of Tom Hardy as an actor. Just it's so true. Everything that he's doing in it is so true and honest and rooted. And I love it. And I will watch it over and over and over again and discover new things. And it's, mm-hmm. I can't say enough about Warrior. I love yeah. it so much. Well, Warrior was the first movie where I watched Tom Hardy and I was like, oh, I get it now. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. there, I had seen Tom Hardy in Christopher Nolan films mm-hmm. and I hadn't seen Warrior yet. And I was, mm-hmm. when he first, Tom Hardy first kind of like came onto the scene, I was like, I don't get it. Like, this guy is like a big thing right now. Mm-hmm. I don't get it. And then I watched Warrior and I was like, wow. Yeah. Okay. Tom Hardy. Yeah. Tom Hardy. Mm-hmm. All right, Sinclair, what's number three? Oh, my God. I've, I, I'm I just too excited about this. I love, 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 love our number three pick. Mm-hmm. It's the glorious post-apocalyptic action film Mad Max Fury Road <laughs> from 2015, directed by George Miller. This movie is the fucking best. I know. The yeah. absolute best. This is the fourth Mad Max film. The you know Obviously, you know, previously it was Mel Gibson who played Max. The first one was in 1979. 
Tom Hardy plays Max in this film. But the amazing thing about this movie is that it's actually Charlize Theron who's mm. truly the star. Yeah. Yes, she plays Furio- She plays Furiosa. She's wonderful. And this film actually took f- over 15 years to make. Damn. This was a notoriously hard desert shoot. But it was worth it in the end. It actually won six Oscars. And it was up for Best Picture, which I think is really cool because you don't necessarily think that this film is going to make it into that that category. I love this movie. I watched this recently. You guys both did too. Yeah. And we were just gushing over it the whole time. Yeah. This film is was surprisingly so feminine. Mm-hmm. It's very feminine, yeah. And Tom Hardy, it's funny because he and Charlize Theron didn't get along on set at all. But when it came to the Cannes Film Festival, he was getting a lot of questions about... There was one in particular where a reporter asked him, when you were reading the script, did you ever think, why are there so many women in here? (laughs) I thought this was supposed to be a man's movie. Because a lot of people do associate Mad Max as being quite a masculine film. And Tom Hardy just answered, no, not for one minute. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like he just shut that down. He was just not having any of that, and he actually did really take a back seat to Charlize yeah, Theron in this film, for sure. And he seemed really okay with that. Mm-hmm. So why is it one of his big three? I think it's one of his big threes because it was a huge, huge blockbuster. Yeah, it's considered one of the best action films ever. Yeah, and also I think it just really shows the kind of person Tom Hardy is and how actually, how confident Mm. he is as an actor, how confident he is to kind of let Charlize Theron take the reins and all the press. And he he hardly says anything in the film, Mm -hmm. but he still manages to bring a certain charisma and strength to the role. And there's a good quote from George Miller about casting him because he actually wanted Heath Ledger. Hmm. for the part originally and then Tom Hardy ended up getting that makes the part. Sense. Yeah. And he said that when it came to casting Max, Heath Mel and Tom had the same quality when they walk into a room, a real likability mixed with a turbulence. Mm-hmm. It's a wonderful paradox of nervous energy and that's great for essentially a silent character. Love that. Love Mm -hmm. that. Well, so much of his acting is there's a lot of silence. It's a lot of looks. It's a lot of behavior. And that requires so much knowledge of character. Mm -hmm. Edison, let's talk about Tom Hardy's pop culture moment. Sure. So Tom Hardy, I believe, has yet to kind of ascend into like his actual movie star era which mm-hmm. we will get at some mm-hmm. point i predict he's definitely famous people know tom hardy mm-hmm. but he's not like superstar famous if that makes sense however <laughs> he still has some pop culture moments and going back to kind of what you were saying about his interviews while promoting mad max he's a tough very hyper masculine in a lot of ways interesting character uh, that straight men like love but he gave these interviews where he kind of talked about having sex with men mm-hmm. <laughs> very matter-of-factly. And that, I would say, would be his pop culture moment. So it was in an interview with Attitude magazine in 2008. They were talking about his character in the film Rock and Rolla. And the interviewer asked him directly, have you ever had any sexual relations with men? 
And he says, as a boy, of course I have. I'm an actor for fuck's sake. I'm an artist. I've played with everything and everyone. Mm. But I'm not into men sexually. I love the form and the physicality. But the gay sex bit does nothing for me in the same way as a wet vagina would turn someone else into a lemon-sucking freak. <laughs> <laughs> to me, it just doesn't compute. Now I'm into my 30s and it doesn't do it for me and I'm done experimenting. He just, you know, says it like it is. But that's yeah. what I love but about him. But then he him. still got questioned about of course, that all absolutely. the time. And it could not be a more clear answer. Right. Well, they even followed up. They said, have you done it all? And mm. he said, not all, but I can imagine. Mm. We've all got an arsehole and I can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> but this is a question that has followed him throughout his whole career mm. ever since. And... Honestly, he finds that tedious and exhausting, and I completely agree. Yes. Mm-hmm. It should be tedious and exhausting. Yeah. How many straight actors do you fo- ask follow-up questions with years right. later? About yeah. like, but wait, did you really have sex with that woman? It's just such a non-event. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he was explicitly clear, and it's just like... There's nothing dude, more to say. There's nothing yeah. more to say. Yeah. So that might be uh, Tom Hardy's little hidden secret. <laughs> uh, that's not so secret. But Sinclair, tell not us about hidden. his uh, hidden gem. Yeah. Okay. So Tom Hardy, I actually found, while I was kind of like going over his filmography, I was like, oh, Tom Hardy, hidden gem. <laughs> like there's a lot of television work. And mm-hmm. yeah, I was like, that's not really mm, interesting. And I found a short film. Oh. That he did in 2002 that he wrote. Wow. Oh wow. my God, this is amazing. Wait, could you find that online? I found, I was like, okay, so first of all, I was like, where am I going to find this? And then I found it on YouTube. Yes. And he plays a rapper. Oh my God, yes. And basically, the plot of this is <laughs> it's called Get a Grip. Written by Tom Hardy. This is back when he was like a model. Yes. And it's directed by someone who I think is his friend, Ed Tracy. And basically the synopsis is a rapper wakes up to a hairy surprise. And it's kind of this weird comedy mockumentary style black and white. It's only about 15 minutes. But he definitely raps in this. Oh, wow. Maybe I'll play a little bit of it. Oh, my God, please. Can, Can I? Yeah, there he is. He's in a very 2000s hat. Wow. Okay. I love him. So he's just rapping away and he wakes up on the night of his big show and he had gotten really really drunk the night before and had crazy glued a wig to his head (laughs) and he's like trying to pull this wig off his head he has to go to his big rap show and then the short just kind of ends but I just I I watched this and I was like, Tom Hardy, you know, good for you. You really do just try it all. Yes. Like really just 
go for it. And he actually has a pretty decent voice, to yeah, be honest. I I, so I was yeah. like, no, this is an actual hidden gem. No, is, for real. Is this great? Not really. It's not the yeah. best short, but... Is it hidden? Oh, yeah. Is it hidden? <laughs> yes and no, because you really just could find it right on YouTube. So right. if you want to see Tom Hardy in his early days playing this rapper, <laughs> then it's called Get a Grip, and you can watch it right on YouTube. I love that. That's wonderful. Helen, tell us about what's upcoming for Tom Hardy. Okay. Well, so we've got the sequel to Venom. Let there be carnage. Let there be carnage. I simply cannot. Uh, Coming out, supposed to be coming out in 2021. We'll see. There is also a film called War Party, which is an adventure film about Navy SEALs. Okay. Pretty, I mm-hmm. guess that's pretty on brand for him. And then we have the other sequel to Mad, Mad Max, Max. Um, The Wasteland, which is a prequel to Fury Road centering on Furiosa, which... But it's not going to be Charlize Theron. I know. It's not going to be Charlize Theron. But the other thing that I find interesting is like, also how is Tom going to be Yeah, this is, right. this is not no, going to work. because they hadn't met. Yeah. yeah. This I'm is confused. not going to work. I'm saying it right now. Hmm, interesting. If, okay. If, they, if George Miller is going to do a prequel story and still cast Tom Hardy, mm. but not cast Charlize Theron, when Charlize Theron was the fucking star and yeah, the hero of that, no. it's going to be a big old no from the public. Yeah. And fair. he will be met with massive resistance to that. Mm, Nobody yeah. has been before, as soon as it was announced. And that's it. There's nothing else on there. At, at this moment in time. Mm. So we'll see. Okay. Well, there's only one way to end this In Focus segment. And that's to play a fun little game of Mary Fuck Kill. Yeah. With Tom Hardy's filmography. Helen, this I might be hard Mary for Mary you. I don't know. So much. I know. I do too. Okay. Well, then, Edison, you start us off. What film do you want to marry? Oh, Mad Max Fury Road. Mm. Am I eager to spend my life in a desert wasteland with a bunch of deformed and mutated humans? No, certainly not. (laughs) But this is my favorite movie on his filmography. Mm -hmm. And so I do take the Fury Road till death do us part. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm marrying my favorite movie, which is Warrior, Mm -hmm. Tommy. Um, You know, he's a broken man, but by the end of this film... Spoiler alert. I think he comes around full circle. I think he's like exercises his demons and <sighs> I love him. I love him. I love him. Always the hopeful romantic. <laughs> I love it. Well, I'm also going to marry Mad Max Fury Road. I love this movie. I was obsessed with this movie when it came out. You guys know when we were in New York, I didn't buy anything. And you were like, Sarah, could you please just buy something? Please buy something to remember this trip. And I ended up finding a post-apocalyptic steampunk mask. Which is literally everything. And (laughs) now I have it. It's amazing. And I pretend I'm in the movie. I love this movie so much. I could watch it over and over again. We can both be concubines of of Morton Joe. We can both. Mary Mad Max Fury Road. Fine with that. Okay, Edison, what film do you want to fuck? I'm going to fuck Inception for the simple concept of like sharing dreams with Tom Hardy's character in this film. (laughs) In a dream world where anything could happen, the possibilities are endless. We've all had very exciting dreams. Also, this film is just very sleek and sexy. Mm -hmm. And like we said, Tom is dead sexy in it. Helen? Helen? Yeah, my answer is literally anything, but <laughs> how about Inception? 
Sorry. Inception was also <laughs> but, but also literally anything. Also could be anything. Literally. Yeah. Oh my god. Okay. Well, I this is easy for me. This means war. Oh really? Oh. Yes. I haven't seen that. I haven't oh, okay. You are gonna <laughs> die. This movie is a just a romantic comedy with yeah. Tom Hardy, Chris Pine, and Reese Witherspoon. Yeah, yeah. And Tom Hardy is so funny in this and so hot. Oh, I haven't and seen that. And sexy. And it's really one of the only romantic comedies he's done. Yeah, and he's really. amazing in it. Like you watch it and you were just like, Tom Hardy, are <laughs> you a romantic lead? Yes. He is. He's no, everything. No, but this is what I was saying earlier about yes. his role in Inception. We haven't seen Tom Hardy, the movie star, right? Like yes. that kind of quality coming like Brad through. Pitt. Yeah, like in his movie star archetype yeah. role. Okay, so maybe that is another element. Yes, that and you also don't think he's going to be hilarious, and he is. Mm-hmm. This means war. Tom Hardy, hot. Oh shit! Well, I gotta watch hot. that. Hot. Yeah, me too. You definitely have to. Yeah, you're gonna lose your shit. I'm gonna lose my shit. Okay, it's that time, Edison. You have to kill one. Easy, Venom. Oh my <laughs> god, I love comic book movies. I love superhero movies. I love the Spider-Man universe. I love Tom Hardy. Mm. I knew that Venom was going to be bad. I watched it in, in advance of watching it. I thought, okay, well, there's no way it could be that bad. And I watched it and it was absolutely atrocious. <laughs> One of the worst things I have ever seen. I sent you both videos. Do you yeah. remember? You did. Yeah. I was like, uh, how, yes. literally, how is this real? How is this his franchise that he is like attaching himself well, to? Well, Mad Max is a franchise. Mad Max too, thank mm-hmm. God. But like... yeah. I get it. Massive paycheck, but wow. No, you are... Tom Hardy is so much better than this movie. Mm. I cannot even. Yeah. Kill it, kill it, kill it, kill it, kill it. Please, kill it before the next one comes out. Mm -hmm. Let fucking Venom and Carnage both contract coronavirus Mm -hmm. and be dead. No, Mm ma'am. No, it's got to go. Yeah, well, I'm fucking a film that... Well, no, Sorry. you're killing. Oh now my God, you're, I'm you're still you're are you thinking now. about fucking. That's oh, all you're no. thinking about now. You have to kill one. I Sorry. Know. Sorry. Okay, I'm killing a film that I watched in... and Well, I didn't finish it. I, I watched part of, in anticipation of this episode, Capone. Oh, mm. I don't want to watch that. Don't. <laughs> It's do not watch it. First of all, no. Uh, Linda Cardellini is playing the exact same role that she played in fucking shit, Green Book. Green Book. Weeping in the corner of the kitchen. Yeah, it, literally the exact same character. But also, I do not need to see Tom Hardy with no hair, old age, terrible old age makeup, like pissing himself and shitting himself because mm. Capone had dementia at this point in the life that he's portraying. Also, it's just not good. Kill, 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 kill. bye. Go. <laughs> okay. Well, I actually really struggled with this. I don't know yeah, what I want to kill because I knew. It's only because you haven't watched Venom. <laughs> yeah, and I knew you were going to kill Venom. And then I actually thought you were going to kill Legend because you didn't like Legend Yeah, Legend is kind of not my cup of tea. but. And I just, I don't know. So I guess I have to kill... I don't want to kill that short film I found. No, you can't call it that. I mean, everybody needs to see that. It's great. I mean, I guess Venom is the only one I would really kill. I actually think he has a really great filmography. He does have a good filmography for sure. Do you know one film that we haven't talked about? Revenant? Yes. Yeah. 
and I oh, I know. He was nominated for an Oscar, but I I didn't know what he was saying the whole time in that well, film. Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> I, that's say. totally fair. But I do think it is worth a little bit of a shout out, mm-hmm. um, just because he was nominated for an Oscar, yeah. so it was a big film for him, and he was really incredible in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we're mentioning it. Don't add us. Yeah. yeah don't add us. <laughs> okay. Well, this has been. The first episode of season four of Talk Movie to Me. We've got a lot of exciting stuff in store for you for this season. If you would like to get in touch with us, our email is talkmovietome at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at talkmovietome. Tweet at us at TMTM Podcast. Rate and review us on iTunes. And check out our website, talkmovietomepodcast.com. I'm Helen. I'm Miss Sinclair. And I'm Edison. Good morning. <laughs> We'll catch you next time. Something not understandable. But also, he's so <laughs>